Have you thought about how long you would like to live? Have you thought about what those last 10, 20 or 30 years might look like? Do you want to be sitting on a couch, zombie scrolling through your phone or mindlessly watching 24-hour news channels while your grandchildren play outside? Or do you want to be out there with those kids, playing, being vital, getting every single moment of happiness out of your days? If you answered in the latter, then you're really going to love the latest book from my podcast guest this week. So You Want to Live Younger, Longer is the latest book from Australia's alternative dad, Dr. Norman Swan. With his straight-shooting, no-nonsense approach to health communication, Dr. Norman Swan fills his latest book with everything that you and I need, all the latest research, to make choices that will indeed help us live younger, longer. But before we get to Dr. Norman, we're going to play some ads. Because podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. You can get an ad-free version of this show on Patreon. I'll tell you more about that later on. But until then, here's some commercials. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We already are living younger, longer. For example, if you're 80 years old today, your chances of dying in the next 12 months are the same as a 60-year-old was 50 years ago. One of the most potent factors that's keeping us longer is the education system. The further you go in education, the longer you live, in greater health, the later you develop dementia, cancer, heart disease, and you may never develop dementia at all. And that's not health education, that's general education. Why? It comes back to this control thing. You're in more control of your life if you've had more education. You've got more choices. You've probably got more money in your pocket. You're probably also living a more healthy lifestyle. You're less likely to be smoking. We've got amongst the world's lowest rates of smoking. And that's huge in terms of living younger and longer. That was journalist, author and physician, Dr. Norman Swan. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is Better Than Yesterday.
Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Thank you so much for being here. This is a podcast that is here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday, something that you hear on this show and every show will indeed help you make your day better than yesterday by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field. Over the last nine, nearly 10 years, we have been able to amass a trove of chats, each one of them full of incredible ideas and takeaways that will help you, I don't know, put a little adjustment here, a little reframe there that will make your day-to-day better than it was yesterday. We do what it says on the box, and that's why I love Dr. Norman Swan's latest book. Uh, my name's Osher Ginsberg. I'm here three times a week, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. I am a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an author. I'm a dad. I'm a stepdad. I'm someone with a different brain. I have all kinds of acronyms uh, as diagnoses, but I take my mental and physical health very seriously, and there's things I do every day to help me make each day better than yesterday, and essentially that's why I started the podcast, because I saw what taking an active and, and very proactive approach to my own mental and physical health did for not only my life, but my relationships and also my career. I just really wanted to talk about it and have more conversations with people who were working along the same lines. If you want to get in touch with me, it's pretty easy. Send Osher email at gmail.com. And thank you for the lovely messaging about DadPod, which is back and brilliant. Man, I'm loving DadPod. DadPod is so much fun. It is a podcast by dads for dads who don't want to be shit dads. I make it with Charlie Clawson. We're out every Thursday. And if you're a dad or a mum dad or a dad-to-be or an expecting parent or you've got a dad or you want to be a dad or you know someone who was thinking about being a dad but a bit worried about being a dad, shoot them over to DadPod and have a listen to two dads that sound like dads you might not otherwise hear from, which is why I love it. I really love it because we weren't hearing podcasts that sounded like the kind of dads that we were being. And um, yeah, it's great. You find DadPod where you find your podcasts. I'm guessing you know how to find a podcast because you are listening to one. (laughs) Let me tell you about my guest today. Dr. Norman Swan is a physician, he's an author, and he's a journalist, and he is one of the hosts of the Walkley Award-winning podcast, CoronaCast. Combining his decades of experience in not only journalism, but also healthcare, Dr. Norman Swan just busts open widely held misconceptions and myths about what are indeed the best health and lifestyle choices that we can make. His trademark is to deliver nothing but the facts in a really lovely kind of fatherly way, sometimes breaking news we don't want to hear, certainly When I listen to CoronaCast, he delivers news that I sometimes don't want to hear. But because it's come from him and the way he's put it to me, I'm like, yes, as uncomfortable as it is to accept that as truth, I now feel informed and I will make a choice, a personal health choice that I am comfortable with. And um, it's brought me extraordinary peace over the past few years. Following on from his most recent best-selling book, So You Think You Know What's Good For You, Love a big question. Dr. Norman Swan is back with a brand new book. So you want to live younger, longer. It's a book packed with the latest research and the latest health information to help you and I make the very best choices we can make to help us live with health and vitality well into our later years. Now, before you say, hey, 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 I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, this book isn't for me, trust me. In this book, Dr. Norman Swan, and in this chat, Norman outlines ways that decisions that you make 
in your 20s and 30s how those choices can either be the difference between you missing your grandchild's birthday because you're hiking the Camino de Santiago in your 70s or missing your grandchild's birthday because it's at a venue that has stairs. Dr. Norman Swan is the voice of reason when it comes to health information in Australia. He is the beacon of truth that I point my bow towards in a storm of misinformation. I absolutely love his work. His latest book is called So You Want to Live Younger Longer, and it's out right now. You can find him on Twitter. He's at Norman Swan, and he's on Instagram at Norman.Swan. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Norman Swan. Uh, hi, welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm TV host and podcaster Osher Ginsberg. And I'm Norman Swan. Yes! Oh, the voice that brought me sanity. The voice of hope. The life boy in the storm, Dr. Norman Swan. Thank you for doing you, mate. i got to say, I know you've worked a long time in broadcasting. I know you're aware of the role of the public broadcaster in society, but I don't think any more time in the history of our nation did your voice cause more, like what you did, your voice, you and Tegan over the last few years has been so important. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of how important you guys have been? No, not really. I mean, that just, uh, people tell me, but you, you can't let, you can't, you know, you can't let it go to your head or, or believe it too much. But um, people do did seem to get some comfort from being told the unalloyed truth. And this is the thing, you know, you and Tegan, you don't, you certainly, I'm talking about Corona Cast that you host with um, uh, Tegan Taylor, uh, which is no longer daily. It's now a, a kind of a more weekly kind of thing, which I can only imagine is, is better for your brain. Um, but just every day dealing with all kinds of calamity from every angle of the fractured spectrum of how to, you know, disseminate a fact uh, was coming at us from all and, you know, fueled by fear and lockdown and money and everything. And your voices would come to me every morning and go, here it is. It's not great, but here's the facts. And it just made me so calm, Norman. Yeah, that, that's what people say. And, um, and we were worried that we were winding people up. But people say, no, no, we're, we're helping you to relax, which is, I, I just find, well, it's pleasing, but surprising as well. Well, it's certainly, there was plenty of winding up being had from everywhere else. That's for sure. And mm -hmm. it's like anything. It's like when you've got to tell the kids, dad's lost his job, we're moving to Rockhampton. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a shit thing to hear, but at least you're hearing it from people you love. You know, some of the news that you guys were breaking was hard to hear certainly when it was coming to how infectious or how deadly things were or how far away vaccines were or how few rat tests we had in the country. There were, it was not fun to hear that stuff, but the way that you were able to tell us made it okay. Yeah, well, it's good to hear. And um, so we're continuing once a week. And um, funnily enough, it's probably harder to do it once a week than it is daily. Too much to pack in? Too much to pack in, and uh, you, you, well, you know this yourself, that when you're broadcasting, mm. if you've done something before, you know, oh, I'm not going to do that again, but you don't realize, well, it's two years ago, since two years since we did particularly that topic. And also, people don't have this, you know, it's your podcast, so you remember what you did two years ago, but the, the listeners don't actually necessarily yeah, you, remember you that. Uh, 
Norman, you I've got two of my two of my best mates are um are both from Greenock. And your humility is very uh, reminds me a lot of that. I'm trying to big you up. One one of these guys built Stadium Australia, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and they're both as humble as you are. You're like, dude, you don't understand. You're like, oh yeah, it's just a job. I'm like, no, mate. <laughs> like, it's such a Scottish thing to to yeah, not want well, to take credit for. My family landed in Greenock from Russia in the oh. early 20th century. Wow, were they getting away from what was going down over there? Yeah, they were getting away from a pogrom in Ukraine. A pogrom in Ukraine. Yeah. Oh, oh, mate. God, how shit that here we are a hundred and something years later and same, same, you know? Yep. It is. It's 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 pretty it's pretty horrible. Um, well, I'm glad you guys made it out um, because the the history there shows that those who didn't make it out probably didn't didn't fare so well. So I'm glad you guys you guys got out and you, you gr- growing up in Scotland. If it's anything like what my mate Gaz and Tom tell me, it was um, uh, I'm guessing post war. It was a little uh, you know th- things weren't as fruitful. Yeah, I mean Glasgow's not a rich city. So it's relatively poor in the west of Scotland. Um, highest coronary heart disease rate in the world, apart from parts of India. And the uh, yeah, so it was a it was a rough town. I mean, I didn't live in a rough part of town, had, but you know, it was a rough town. Gives <laughs> <laughs> you a on a Saturday night. Not you know, not, yeah. not, not a comfortable area. <laughs> Yeah, that's my bad Gazza always says, it's a nice jacket. You mind if I try it on? <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. He would he would yeah. say, the bloke come up behind you and just say that. It's a nice jacket. Do you mind if I try it on? And he goes, and you'd be walking home cold. <laughs> <There's> no, <laughs> that's it. Gives you a jacket. But, uh, but you're lucky when they come up behind you. It's when they come up in front of you and say, are you looking at me? I need a bit of respect here, you know? <sighs> Well, well, we'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to alcohol and violence because that is a that's a health issue uh, in our country, particularly my city of Sydney. In my opinion, hasn't dealt with it very well. But I would love to know what was it that um, took you to uh, to pediatrics? You you tried to get into the, to RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, which I love because that that makes sense with the, how wonderful you are with emoting when you're on on the mic. What was it that took you to pediatrics? Um, you, you know, you people want you to say, well, you know, I want to help children and all that, all that sort of thing. The reality is that when I was training, I was actually going to be a psychiatrist to begin with. When I got kind of the acting, well, the the acting was interpolated into all that, and I was going to train in the United States, and I decided that I was going to spend a year or two getting a broader base to my medical training before I jumped into psychiatry. And part of that was spending six months doing pediatrics in a west of London hospital. And I worked for a guy who was just incredible. I mean, he was just a a mentor. He was a great clinician. He really nurtured you. And like a lot of things, you said, oh, I'd quite like to be like him. And so I, I think when you talk to a lot of people in about what they chose in medicine, it was about somebody that they admired and nurtured them to go into it. So it wasn't, it wasn't pediatrics as such. It was the combination of pediatrics and, and this guy, who, by the way, was Scottish, and his name was Dr. Finlay. And uh, so people might not remember Dr. Finlay's casebook, which was a story of a Scottish country general practice, um, one of the original GP dramas. 
and um, and and once so my doctor Finlay was on a plane from Edinburgh to London, and he was sitting beside the actor who played Doctor Finlay on the plane, and this guy was so shy and retiring that he never said he never sort of said turned around to him, you know, as the, you know, we're serving coffee on the plane. Do you know what my name is? <laughs> and introduced himself as Doctor Finlay. Never did it. What I mentioned before about Coronacast and how, you know, delivering crappy news to the public in the best way possible. Do you think your background in paediatrics of talking to parents about their kids' outcomes may have played a role in how you learned how to do that? Um, maybe. I mean, I was always a uh, reason, you know, communication, talking, expressing yourself, giving speeches, that sort of thing was always um, something that I liked doing. And it's true that one of the things about paediatrics is, particularly young babies, is that the baby can tell you a lot, but the parents can tell you more. And you can tell mm. a lot about the situation. So to do paediatrics well, child health well, you've got to, you really do have to be a good communicator. And you've got to be quite intuitive and you as well as being objective and scientific so it, bring, it does bring a lot of that together which is also why i like psychiatry um the, the main reason i like psychiatry well one of the reasons i like psychiatry was i love hearing people's stories and understanding people's stories in their context and there's no greater specialty than psychiatry for storytelling I've got, I've got two, and a psychologist. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm keeping a whole. You're lot. surrounded. Uh, yeah, it's great. They've kept kept me employed and, and sane. Both both my parents were doctors. I, I am the son of two doctors. My father, a rheumatologist, and my mum was an anaesthetist before she retrained as, as a GP. And I remember hearing from them because as a kid, I asked them as a curious child. But let me ask you, Dr. Norman Swan, when it comes to delivering news that the other person may not want to hear, what would you, what would you say is the best way to do it? Um, well, the way they say do it in medicine is not to push it out there, is actually to do it slowly and carefully and to see it as a process rather than a sudden thing. Um, and, and, and so it's always good, no matter what area you're in, whether you're talking to an employee, somebody you've got a relationship with. It's actually to hear from them first. And you, you would know this, that if you're a good broadcaster, the most important organ is your ears because you just got to listen. And if you don't listen, then you're, you're not connecting. You're not connecting with the audience. You're not connecting with the person. So the first step is to say, well, you know, what's what's so in health, it would be, what do you understand is wrong with you? What have you been told? What do you understand? What do you want to know that you haven't been told about before? Obviously, you don't give all those questions at once, but those that's in your head. Mm -hmm. So, and, and people are not idiots. They, they know that something serious is going on. They're worried about their problem and so on. And, and what is it you want? In other words, getting a sense of where people want to be. So if people got a serious illness, it's not necessarily going to be a surprise to them that the news might not be so good. But for you to just dump it on them and then walk away is not is not doing anybody any good at all. So finding out what you know, what 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 they understand, what their worries are, what they need to know, what what they want to know, 
is the first step in being able to, and if you're listening to that, then that helps you to frame, whether it's in medicine, an advertising agency, life, that helps you to know how to frame what you want to say next. I remember, it was, it's kind of a non sequitur, but it just, for some reason it came into my head. It was when I was living in London and I had this relationship and it needed to end. And I was working in West London and there was this, and I, I thought, you know, I've got to do this properly. And so I'd organised uh, my girlfriend to come out and we were drive, driving to a country pub in just in the outskirts of London, which I knew was kind of, you know, so we could have that conversation. And we're in the car driving and she said, you know, the last time I've been to this pub before, you know, the last time I came to this pub was when this guy wanted to dump me. <laughs> Did you go through with it? Not that occasion. No, yeah, I didn't have one. there you go. Listening, very important, Norman. <laughs> very, very important. Well, that's that's great. That's I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that with us. In that, it's about taking them on the journey. It's taking like understanding. Well, it's about, it's about them taking you. It's about them taking you on their yes. journey and you being on their journey, yeah. and that being a very important part of it. Yeah. And 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 where you want to be. And so, if it's an you know taking it out of children or to adults it's that they've probably already thought through what if it's bad news and mm. what are my goals here so my goal is here to uh, stay at work for as long as I possibly can at high performance or I just need to get to my daughter's wedding mm. next July yeah can you do that for me and that that sort of knowledge then then you have a conversation between adults and, and there but if you just if all that's in your head is I've got to tell you you want to get six months to live which is actually rarely the case, it's, it's, that's not what you say, then it's going to be an unsatisfactory conversation. And if it, all it is, in, if it's somebody that, who works for you or works with you, is, you know, you just got to find out why. For example, if people are not performing at work, there's usually a reason for it. And often that reason has nothing to do with them, it's to do with the system and the way the system's working. When this all went down, when the, when the, pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic started to kick off in the end of 2019 and start of 2020, it started to become fairly evident fairly quickly that the systems that we had in place weren't weren't going to cope, and which I'd, I'd love to get to because you have, not only do you have a great background in medicine, you also have a great background in 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 systems and certainly public funded systems where you're working with the ABC and you were you, not take nothing to do with medicine. You were the general manager of Radio National for a couple of years there. What did you learn about how public, was it 90 to 93? So that was coming, uh, that was all under a Labor government at the time. So what, what did you learn about government funding and then putting that policy into effect, you know, using public dollars and how those kind of public systems worked and how they were held to account? Well, the first thing is that we, we, you know, the ABC, we don't put government policy into effect. We hold them, as you say, at the end, we, we hold them to account. Now, the, the main thing about those three years running Radio National was the Radio National was dying, and I believed in it very strongly. And David Hill, the then managing director of, Radio National, of the ABC, called my bluff because I was critical, saying, why don't we do this? He said, okay, well, I'll give you the job, you run it, and fix it up. And so it was a very intense three years where I had to stop a lot of activities at Radio National, sack people who were older than me um, through no fault of their own. They were, not, they were good people, but it wasn't what was needed for moving forward. 
and and what I learned was that there's nothing like knowing where you're going and then communicating that to other people, finding out how realistic that is and taking them with you on the journey and supporting them along the way. And that it is the system that allows you to work. And that's when I introduced Radio National Breakfast. It's when I brought in for the Badams to do Late Night Live. We started Life Matters. Oh, sweet, an art series, an art sequence on Radio National. And we increased the audience by about 30%. And it was really about knowing where we were going in a, in a complicated system um, and having simple objectives, fairly simple objectives. Two separate questions, but you've basically given me the same answer for both in that when you're speaking to a patient about their outcomes, you are essentially putting a point on the horizon going, okay, so let's go this direction. No matter what's happening with your body or your health or your immune system or your bones or your brain or whatever, we're both pointing in this direction, Similar, and, and let's go on this journey together. Similarly, with Radio National, you're able to go, okay, guys, this is where we're going to go. Let's just keep going in this direction. Humans tend to respond really well when they've got a horizon to move towards, don't they? They do. Um, the, the, the problem um, in, in, in that is the journey. Where we fall down on is the journey. So you, there are endless reports or propositions saying, you know, here's where we want to be, and they just sit on the shelf, nothing happens, because the journey is actually what counts. And you've actually got to be able to convince people that I'm going to be with you on the journey, and here's what the journey starts to look like. So whilst we might have this modern network, which has a current affairs show at the beginning of the day, and, and so on and so forth, here's actually how we're going to get there. Here are the steps. This is what's going to happen next week, next month, so on. Is that right? What are your suggestions? And so on. And it's the same in medicine is that you, you, you uh, in a world of uncertainty, you try to provide at least the framework of an idea of the journey because and people talk, some people talk to this about bridge building, is that the United States is a bit different. You know, the United States tends to create an objective and say, come back in three months and show me you've achieved it. Whereas in the Australian context, it's, well, that's fine, show me the objective, but I need to know, uh, you know some confidence that, that, and also in America, it's, it's okay to fail along the way. Yeah. Failure is not a bad thing. And we're not, we don't like failure. No. We, don't, we don't like failure. And so you've got to assure people, at least in the, in the radio national context, my broadcast experience, is that it's actually okay to fail. And if you fail, I'll be with you. Um, and the uh, in, in the clinical context, it's it's going to be up and down. Uh, the good days, the bad days, and we'll work through them together. Yeah, there's no, there is no learning without failure. This idea that failure is not an option is a complete, complete fallacy. There's, you know, there's an unacceptable amount of failure, but failure is a critical part of learning anything. But all too often we drop people when they failed. I mean, we, we make them the scapegoats mm. for a failed strategy. And that's, that's the problem. And people know that. And they don't want to be hung out to dry. Now, this, this, this issue of people being high and dry is something that I actually do talk about in my new book, which is about, uh, so you want to live younger, longer. And it sounds like an odd segue. But the reality is that when you, you know, the, the aging process is directed by the brain, and no matter what age you are. And, and if you're under chronic stress, your brain actually changes. 
And it actually changes in a way which changes the way your immune system works, your heart, heart, blood vessels, and various other things. And it actually promotes aging. One of the, the major things that creates chronic stress is job stress and job strain. So you're in a job where instead of your manager listening to you, your manager tells you what to do, orders you around, doesn't give you the chance to, to make up, you know, decide how the job best be done. Uh, doesn't listen to you about the system, and you've—it's one of the causes of burnout. But you just feel chronically stressed. Another source of stress is a single parent with three kids on a pension, um, and effect- effectively, you feel oppressed and out of control of your life. And that actually is—that actually makes you sick, and it can age you more rapidly. That's why your voice was the warm bath full of magnesium salts, mate. You were, you were, you were the, you know, when, when we had, you know, we were talking about failure not being op- an option to the point at the highest levels of our government, people were darting out of the way of being nailed down to take accountability like a cat avoiding a medicine pill to the point where we were, we all feel nuts because we're smart people. We're not idiots. And we're seeing our leaders kind of jump this way and that and like, well, hang on a second. And we just, we feel completely bamboozled and like we're the crazy one and that to be honest Norman that led to a lot of my own anxiety about about what the what the willikers was going on in the last yeah. um couple in the last couple of years and and you're right stress is such an extraordinary um an extraordinary thing and the to the fertile ground that was you know, I really want to talk to you about today about health communication. You're an expert in this sort of stuff. You know, you've worked on, on, on quantum, you've worked on catalyst, you've worked in broadcasting for, crikey, 30, 40 years now. Um, you That's know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> You're a little ahead of me. I started when I was 20, so I'm, I've, been, I've been at this for quite some time. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot you don't know about commuting difficult messages to the public. And fear is a great motivator. Yet, you can only use it sparingly because once you let it out of the box, it's it's gone. What do you think were some of the things that could have been done better around public messaging in the first few months of, of the pandemic? And what can we look out for uh, when it comes to more kind of tricky messaging coming from above? Um, I, I think the word I use is trust. And you've got to be able to trust the messages that you hear. And if you feel that somebody is hiding something, you instantly do not trust them, even though they may not be hiding something or what they're hiding is insignificant. Um, But trust is really critical. And they came close to losing a lot of trust in March of 2020 because there was a week there where the government was starting to tell people to socially distance um, and uh, not go out as much and try and work from home, et cetera, et cetera. And yet the Prime Minister was tripling that on going to watch the Sharks on the Saturday night, 80,000 people, where there was a Grand Prix in Melbourne of 250,000 people and possibly a couple of the drivers from Monza already had COVID. I don't think the drivers particularly wanted to drive. Um, and you had a basketball match in Western Australia, I think 14,000 people going. And so you have these mass events when COVID was running. And there was the sense of exceptionalism is that we're not Britain, we're not America, it's not going to be like that here. Well, we're now seeing the, the fact that if we had the spread of the virus 
in 2020 that we've got now, we wouldn't be getting 80 deaths a day. We would be getting you know, several hundred deaths a day. I mean, Britain had this idea that you let it rip in the first few months of the pandemic. 45,000 people died in the attempt to get herd immunity, and only 6% of, you know, of people had any antibodies in the body. And as we know now, unfortunately, this virus does not behave like other viruses, and you don't develop. Apart from back, the vaccine gives you good coverage against severe disease, but it doesn't give you long-term immunity against infection. Next one comes along, you get better again. And um, you know, it's whack-a-mole. We wanted to believe the premiers in those things, but in fact, what what I, what I knew was that this that is that they weren't actually being transparent at all. Um, there were things that were happening behind the scenes that they weren't that were they weren't too obvious, and that was fine for the first two or three months because people didn't realise that. But as there was more stress in the system and the stories about vaccines came out, as time progressed more and more holes were shown in what they were doing and there would become differences between states. Why was Victoria different from New South Wales? And yet, you know, New South Wales was the reason Victoria went into lockdown in 2021 um, because New South Wales was slack and libertarian and you'll leave it to people's sense of responsibility and we're not going to lock down the whole city and it's, you get multiple points of spread to Victoria and Victoria's locked down. That, that's the problem people had. And the whole thing created such fertile ground because in, in the way that I saw it, and you, you know, you may think differently, the way I saw it is if you are looking to your leaders and you're looking for the people on the TV, you know, having Auslan interpreters, you know, basically sign the coming of the apocalypse, and you can tell that they're obfuscating. You're looking for a foundation. You're looking for something strong to stand on, and you can tell that it's not there. You're going to go looking for something that makes you feel like you know what's going on. And this is fertile ground to be exploited. And I know this is something that, you know, sits with you because you write about it in your new book, you know, this idea of wellness <laughs> or, or well-being. Like it's, it's such a danger then if you don't give people a strength or something strong to stand on, they will look for it and it might not be from somewhere that's healthy. Yeah, I think... I think people are very sensible and doctors get overwrought about alternative medicine or complementary medicine and so on. And what the research shows is that when doctors don't have good answers for something, uh, people do go looking for other solutions. But it's relatively, my understanding of research is it's relatively unusual for people to go for, to abandon modern medicine altogether. They look for it as something as an add-on. It's mm. unusual for you know, a parent of a young child who's got a high fever to go off to a chiropractor to have the neck manipulated when they've got meningitis. That's a, that's a, that's a, rare, it's a rare phenomenon. And most people have a, scent, have a barometer inside them which knows, I know I'm not so sick, I'm not feeling that great, the doctor's not helping me that much, I will try a couple of these supplements or what have you. But then they get the strong sense, and there is evidence to support it, that they know when they're actually not not well at all, and then they go back to their to their doctor, and they, they use both in a in a fairly fluid way. So so most people have an inbuilt monitor of their own well being, and they know when it's something serious. But do we have a monitor of how effective those supplements that they might have ordered from a an Instagram no. ad because they've been searching for other things? Do we have a barometer for how well those things are actually 
what's in them and do they work and can a couple of words on a label get you out of jail? Well, I think they were less critical and ask less of those uh, supplements and other things, uh, alternate diets and what have you. We're prepared to experiment with our bodies when we feel in more control. So if we go out and we buy this bottle of stuff in the pharmacy, um, we've made that decision. We've done our own little bit of research. I'm happy to trust that. But uh, and we trust that possibly more than the doctor prescribing a drug because we mean, oh, it's the pharmaceutical industry and they make money out of this. And you know, what what about what about that? And so there. But but we fall it back into trust when we're seriously ill, and it, it really is the quality of communication that comes from, from the doctor. But we don't we have got no idea about it. It's more like hope. And in my, mm-hmm. in my new book, Living Younger Longer, I have a huge section on on anti aging supplements. And what's really interesting here about anti aging supplements is, you think, oh, one part of you thinks, well, this is just all bullshit, and you're just being ripped off. But there's a, there's a, and I don't deal with the really mad supplements that just, you know, that, that just have, there's no conceivable way that they could ever work. But there's a whole list of anti-aging supplements which should work. Frustrating thing is they should work because they're based on animal research. When you give them to an animal, like a mouse, the mouse lives 30% longer. But, and here's the link. On the basis of a mouse living 30% longer, they, they say, well, you should take it too. And not only is there no evidence that they work in humans, they may not actually work in the way that you would hope them to because we, were, we are so much more complicated. Mm. And so there's, there's something going on there with these substances which are involved in the aging process but don't work when you take them individually. And in in the book, I talk a lot about why that might be and where we might go with that. So, for example, we all have this tendency, and I have it too, if a little is good for you, more must be better. And there's a whole series of things where there's not a direct dose-response relationship. So if you take, take tobacco, for instance, take smoking, the first, and this is why you've got to stop smoking and not reduce it, the most dangerous cigarettes are the first 10. So if you say, oh, look, I don't smoke much. I just have a, one or two after each meal. So I, I smoke five or six a day. In fact, that first 10 are disproportionately bad for you. Now, it's no question that 20 cigarettes a day are worse for you than 10, but it's not double. You've actually got the first 10 cigarettes have got you to that point. Now, it's the same with supplements, is that they work, the, the supplement industry is asking you to take these supplements in drug-like doses not the doses that work in your body. And there is evidence to suggest that when you give something in high dose, like for instance, vitamin C is a, an antioxidant, if you take it just as a supplement rather than food, it's an antioxidant at low doses, but actually might speed up aging at high doses because it works differently. And this is complicated shit. <laughs> Yeah. This is sort of stuff that I wish that I'd learned in, in school. I mean, I did learn a bit about research and I did learn a little about the scientific method, uh, not enough about mechanistic data. I, luckily, I had both my parents being doctors who told me a lot of this stuff. Like at a certain point, your kidneys are just going to get overloaded and just going to piss the rest of it out. So don't bother. You know, over this amount yeah. doesn't matter. You're just going to stress it's your right. renal system. Australians and- have the most expensive urine in the world. That's right. Oh, <laughs> tell me about that. 
because we're, we're swallowing all this stuff that doesn't actually do anything and you, you just pee it out. All that, all that testing in the sewers to look for COVID antibodies, and instead we're we're seeing creatine and vitamin C in the sewerage system. Like, yeah. Australians are the most expensive unit in the world. There's your bumper sticker, Norman. There it yeah. is, right there. That's that's absolutely perfect. This this idea of wanting to live younger, longer, uh, which is a I love a book that does what it says on the box. You know, it's like this podcast, better than yesterday. I love, I, I just like things that do what they say on the box. My goal here, Norman, and bear in mind, I'm 48. I've got, I've already had one hip replacement, but I need to get that redone. So I'm, already, I'm a little behind. This is how I want it to go. I want it to go fit, 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 dead. That's it. That's how I want it to be. I don't want some sort of terrible gliding slope that just goes for 20, 30 years where I'm just unable to do things I want to do and watch my kids and grandkids do things without me. I don't want that at all. So, yeah, I want to live younger, longer. Uh, I don't think that's a new thing, is it? People generally work until the day they died back in the day, but then medicine showed up and... The idea, and like, might be controversial. You don't have to agree with me. It's just because we can keep people alive, and their hearts beating. Like, it, what's what kind of quality of life is there? And this does kind of put a bit of a question to us as a community, doesn't it? It sure does. But as I talk about in the book, that we already are living younger, longer. For example, if you're 80 years old today, your chances of dying in the next 12 months are the same as a 60-year-old was 50 years ago. That's how different it is. Now, you only get to 80 with that sort of statistic if you're physically younger at 80 than than an 80-year-old was or a 60-year-old was. So in other words, the the whole thing is about being biologically younger than the number of miles you've got on the clock. And and that's happening already. So why is it happening? Is it medicine that's doing it? Well, no, it's not to a significant extent. It's partly, but no, it's not. So it is a bit like falling off the cliff um, towards the end. So that's already happened. So why is it happening? And it's lots of different reasons. And some of them are really macro. But if you actually look how we've got to this point, one of the most potent um, factors that's keeping us longer is the education system. The further you go in education, the longer you live in greater health, the later you develop dementia, cancer, heart disease, and you may never develop dementia at all. And that's not health education, that's general education. Why? It comes back to this control thing. You're in more control of your life if you've had more education. You've got more choices. You've probably got more money in your pocket. You're probably also living a more healthy lifestyle. You're less likely to be smoking. It's a whole series of things that go along with education. We're probably taking a bit more exercise now than we used to, but that's not prob- that's probably not part of the, pro- the thing. Immunization is those sort of preventive things are, 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 are working. Most of us are living in better housing. Those environmental things are what keeps us. So, for example, we've seen the rate of death from coronary heart disease, from heart attacks and stroke, declining by two percent per annum for thirty years. So 60% age-adjusted, fewer people dying today than did 30 years ago. And that's for a lot of environmental reasons. And stopping smoking is the other big one, is that very few people smoke now. We've got amongst the world's lowest rates of smoking. And that's huge in terms of living younger and longer. And then medicine has made a bit of a difference, which is that 
if you've got a high cholesterol, high, you know, what I talk about in the book is you've got to do the basics first. Before you get onto the goji berries, you've got to do the basics first, which is in your 20s and 30s, know what your cholesterol level is, know what your blood pressure is. And that could save your life. Because if it is up a bit, you could lose a bit of weight, you could reduce the salt in your diet, you could eat a healthier diet. And if your cholesterol is up really high, maybe you need to go on drugs because you've got a genetic problem. But smoking and high blood pressure batter your body and, and promote aging. So you've got to get the basics right. Know what people die of in your family at what age. And if you've got a pattern in your family you hadn't realized that people are dying under 60 of a certain problem, you might need genetic counseling, so the things that you look out for. So do those basic things. And then doctors treating blood pressure, treating high cholesterol, are helping us to get to old age quite well. So it's not that we've got no disability, it's that we're doing pretty well. You've already had a hip replacement. So, so what if you're in your 70s or 80s, you need to get a hip or knee replacement uh, it's like your 50,000 mile service, then you, you know, you've got a bit of pain and disability, but you're actually not too badly off. And you know, and keep your mind going. And then there's the stuff is what else can you do? And there's fascinating research about how you can actually intervene to keep your body younger. When it comes to, like a lot has been said about what we, you mentioned goji berries, there's lots been said about what we eat. What does the research say about what we put in our mouths around living younger, longer? Okay, so not too much, because those statistics I just quoted about 2% random decline, they're, being, they're beginning to tail off for a couple of reasons. One is we've kind of got the no, the no smoking in the bank. We've got that benefit. The education thing is in the bank. Um, that We've already logged that benefit. Um, but obesity and overweight are really strong, strongly promote a, a more rapid aging, so not eating too much. Um, the thing about food is that cooking makes a difference. Cuisine makes a difference. So there's no question that eating raw food is better than buying eating processed food. You know, no question. But it turns out that the way you cook food is really important. And you create anti-aging compounds in your cooking uh, that you could never buy off the shelf in a pharmacy. So, for example, the classic example is the sofrito, which is the basis of Middle Eastern, many much Middle Eastern and Mediterranean food. So you put your um, extra virgin olive oil in the pot, moderate heat, add the chopped onions, add the garlic, add the tomatoes, maybe carrots, and you cook that. I'm hungry already. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing it all the time, particularly when you're being... Now, that cooking is chemistry. Whilst extra virgin olives got great bioactive compounds and all these individual elements are, when you cook them together, they react with each other and they create an incredibly strong mix of bioactive compounds, which have an effect in their own right, but also change your microbiome, which then has an effect on your immune system and your brain and, and what have you. So cuisine is really important. And then people say, oh, well, what about intermittent fasting, you know, 5-2, or the time-restricted eating. I, I cover this a lot, and so you want to live younger, longer. And the problem with intermittent fasting is your body adjusts to the lower calories. And what they don't, what, what isn't really emphasized in people's minds is the calorie gap is really important. So one thing is that if you're going to go on one of these fasting regimes, you've got to exercise quite intensively so that you still are burning calories and stressing your body with that. 
And then it matters what you eat on your days where you're allowed to eat stuff. You've got to eat a very high quality diet. And then the evidence suggests that you're probably better, rather than intermittent fasting, is to have intermittent frugality, which is that every three days or so, if you're not a vegan, become a vegan every three days. This is what Greek Australians do who belong to the Greek Orthodox Church. They don't have any choice in the matter. There are fasts in the Greek Orthodox Church, maybe 100 days a year, where it's not like Yom Kippur, where you don't eat anything, or Ramadan, where you don't eat anything morning to them. These are days of frugality, where you only eat plant-based foods for a day. You don't eat eggs, cheese, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and Greek Australians live a long time. Um, some people, there's a researcher in Melbourne who thinks that Greek Australian, who, who live a, a traditional way, are, are the second longest lived people in the world um, because of their lifestyle and what they eat. But surely there's, I mean, that's, I know I asked you a question about eating and uh, 100 total days of the year that is entirely plant-based is one factor, but there has to be other factors around sense of community, sense of purpose, sense of belonging. That has to play a role because from what I know about loneliness, loneliness is incredibly bad for you. It's incredibly unhealthy to be lonely. But if you're in that kind of community, such a strong, tight-knit community that has ritual and ceremony and planned days where you are together, that has to play a role. Correct. And it's hard to unpick more. And then absolutely. So social interaction, social support, how many people can you call upon if you're in trouble? Is, is it none, one? Is it five? Five, some people think it's the magic number. Social support, interaction with others is incredible. So it's a cocktail of stuff. It's a mix of stuff. You're absolutely right. They, they cook in a... In a in a moderate heat, you, you don't get burnt food in the Greek diet. They eat with family and friends. You're right, they have the frugality. They've often got a backyard garden or in Melbourne, they've got a, an allotment and they look after that so they get a bit of exercise. Their herbs are fresh. I mean, just go to Cabramatta in, in Sydney and watch the Vietnamese community shopping. And they, um, you know, they are out there you, you would not want to be a greengrocer <laughs> for the Vietnamese community because they are so picky and Greeks are really picky too that their herbs got to be fresh, their vegetables got to be fresh. And that makes a difference too, probably much more than whether it's organic or not. Uh, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about the way we live and the housing and stuff like that, that we are, over time, we have isolated ourselves more and more and more and more. And I think we all felt that 2020, 2021, we all felt how incredibly bad it was for us mentally, physically, to not be around other people. That's never in my life, and I hope never again in my life will we have that. And we were able to identify that quite intensely. And, you know, it's it's such a huge part of it, such a huge, huge part of it. And, I, and it goes to that, and it goes to the brain again. The brain runs everything. And you take in stuff from your environment and the brain tells your body what to do. And relationships are a part of that. It's not a mystery. Just taking a quick break uh, from Dr. Norman Swan to, uh, well, we have to play some ads because we've got to pay for the show. If you want an ad-free version of the show, you could have one. It's all yours. Simply by jumping on board at Patreon, getting around the show, supporting us, supporting the people that make the show. There's a bunch of us. Patreon.com slash Osher. Can't believe I've got it. O-S-H-E-R. Well, I'm the only one there. I jumped on Patreon yonks ago. I don't know. Early adopting. Gets you a good URL, I think. 
patreon.com slash osha for as little as five bucks a month you can get ad-free versions of this show there's also full video versions of the show available which are great because i do film them all thank you also for checking out dad pod uh, just a reminder to check that out and uh, if this show does bring you value please like it share it rate it review it share it with someone you love share it with someone you care about let them know about the show um, this particular episode is really good man this one with norman and we're just getting getting to the really good stuff so maybe there's someone in your life that needs to hear this just shoot him a link and say hey you might enjoy this chat with the bloke from coronacast and that guy with the take it off screaming <laughs> okay Back with Norman in a minute. You might hear some ads, you might not. Let's see what happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm so grateful you wrote this book. There's two more things. I know you're a very busy man, so I just want to talk to you about two more things. You, we, We've seen it in the States. We've seen... Uh, women's health become horrendously politicized over the last 40, 50 years in America, now to the point where uh, women's health care, the, the, the right of women to actually like have actual health care procedures done to their bodies has become uh, illegal. And it is, it's absolutely heartbreaking. You go right into this in your book. You go into uh, a lot of women's uh, healthcare issues and uh, sexual, uh, just regular things that happen in a woman's life around uh, sexual uh, function, being given a name, being diagnosed, given a reason to, now it's something that's wrong with you, now it's something that has to be fixed. Where are we in Australia around women's healthcare and what can we do better? I think think the issue these days is more acute for the LGBTQI community than women. Not that there aren't issues with women's healthcare, not that there aren't threats to reproductive freedom, but I think, you know, paradoxically, you know, America touts itself as the land of freedom and freedom of choice. But I lived um, there for 10 years, mate. I can tell you it ain't. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's right. I mean, there are plenty of people in Australia who don't like the idea of abortion and oppose it. But the reality is, um, that's what I'll choose. You know, that's what that person will choose for themselves. They would not have an abortion, and you respect that view, but not have a law which stops other people making choices about their own bodies um, themselves. And I think that we still have that position, and we now have laws in Australia which which legalise that. I mean, I think there are still issues about um, men making assumptions about women, male, male, male clinicians, and it's not. It's far from ideal. But when you look at what's happened over the last 30-odd years, 
the things that were said about women's health and getting justice for women in the healthcare system are now absolutely true for the LGBTQI community. And the level of stress, the level of mental health issues, um, feeling disenfranchised, that chronic stress that I talked about, that's there uh, um, in the LGBTQI community. And, and it's because of not being listened to, lack of recognition, and and, and feeling not connected to, to the, the general community in the way they would want to be. It's staggering that in the election campaign we saw um, young trans kids be used as a as a crowbar. Um, when you know the rates of risk around self harm, uh, around risk of suicide and stuff like that, it is it's gobsmacking that that happened. Yeah, and the thing that people don't. I talk about this a lot and so you want to live longer, longer. It's about the confusing statistic called life expectancy. Life, expect, life expectancy is an average and it's an average based on what we kind of know today. So a baby born today, they say, well, live, you know, has a life expectancy of 83. Well, that's actually not true. Um, life expectancy is, you know, your personal lifespan is really what counts here. So for example, a baby born today in a wealthy suburb probably will live to 100 um, because of the circumstances. And when you hear life ex things like life expectancy gaps, for example, between non-Indigenous community and First Nations communities, a gap of 11 years, which is horrendous, um, the, you tend to think that that's because if you're an Aboriginal person and you're 60 years old, you're much less likely to get to 70, and that's why there's a gap. That's not that's not necessarily the case. The reason why there's a life expectancy gap in Aboriginal communities, the dominant reason, it's not the only one, is that Aboriginal people die too young. And when you die of a mental health issue, for example, or an accident in your 30s and 40s, you lose massive years of life. And that's what brings down the average life expectancy in the community. If, if, if you or I die at 70 rather than 90, that doesn't make a big impact on the national statistic called life expectancy. Mm. But if you or I die, you know, people die in their 30s and 40s, you've lost 60 years of life. And that has a massive effect. So life expectancy goes down when young people die. Early in the early in the communication about vaccination, I remember them saying, um, "People over the age of seventy uh, are encouraged uh, to get their vaccines." Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders over the age of fifty, and um, Briggs, the great extraordinary uh, rapper Briggs, is like, "And what the fuck is that about?" Mm. <laughs> he's like, he's in his mid thirties. He's like, "Why why do I need a vaccine twenty years younger than a white person?" It's not from my choices and it's not from my genetic makeup. And I think that, for, for me, that's, again, a down of communication. That's a huge fallacy around, uh, you know, the, the way that a person's life choices are. It's it's, it's such a Gordian knot, mate. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, there, were, there were just the, the one thing I didn't want to talk about uh, with women, that there's a just talk, talking about if you could be so kind to talk about the labelling of just regular things that happen with women's sexuality around desire and stuff like that. What dangers do we have if we start labelling these things? Well, there are two dangers. One is um, we can become too puritanical. 
and, and think there's something wrong about trying to find a way of improving your level of desire. So, but what the medical profession has done, or absolutely, they've actually medicalized um, loss of desire as a woman's health problem. When it, you know, when you're 45 years old and you've got three kids and your husband or your partner is not sharing in the uh, domestic duties and you spend your life knackered, uh, loss of desire. I mean, we're it would be unusual to actually have any desire left. Is 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 this story there? And then what they're trying to do is find pills to improve. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about the pharmaceutical industry. So. Uh, medicalizing a social problem or a societal problem or an environmental problem is actually massive. But there are women and there are men who have loss of desire for hormonal reasons. It's not the majority. And there may well be a pharmaceutical reason for that. But the dominant one is it's how we live. And you know, fatigue is commoner in women than men. And, the, you know, and some women get wrongly labelled as having chronic fatigue syndrome. Well, again, if you're 45, three kids, and you're taking on all the roles, and you've got to think about the kids schooling and whether they're going to the football today and what they're going to do, and your partner's not sharing in that mental load, of course you're going to be knackered. You know, there's no drug that's going to fix that up, you know. No, there's no pill to take away the never-ending laundry, that's for sure. But the, um, the, other thing, the other solution there is an electric prod for your partner, you know. Oh, well, yeah, there is that. There is that. The, the last thing I did want to talk to you about is that I'm, I'm a dad. I'm also a stepdad. Uh, we have an 18-year-old and we have a nearly three-year-old. Uh, as the uh, kind of default voice of the nations, like you're our other dad. Norman, I don't know if you realize that. You're the, you're the alternate dad. If, I, if we've got a dad that's just like knee deep in Sky News, you know, with climate denial and stuff like that, we can pretend that you're our dad for a second and read us the truth, which we love. What is it that you think you did along the way that helped your boy Jonathan become who he is? Because I swear to God, mate, every time I see your son Jonathan, I am like, whatever you did, Norman, to help him discover that about himself is just mind-blowing, and I would love to be able to replicate a bit of that with our kids. What is it well, that you think you did early on? I think it was his mum, actually, not me. Um, I mean, I really, to be honest, I, 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 you know, he was growing up at a time when I was incredibly busy, and I think he had a great mother. He had a mother who was attentive and always there for him, and he was wrapped. My three kids, are, there was no difference. My three kids got two uh, daughters, and Jonathan, and um, you know, they were wrapped in love. Uh, they're also wrapped in, you know, by my ex-wife, their mum uh, was a pediatrician, a proper pediatrician, she got properly qualified. And we knew the rules, and the rules are firm but loving parenting, which is that you set boundaries, you, your kids know their limits, they know the boundaries that they should not cross, but they know they're always there, you're always there for them but that discipline is not absent. And they, you also walk the talk, you say. The example, they see you working hard, doesn't come to you on a plate. I think sometimes money is a curse in some families. And, uh, you know, and some parents who've got a lot of money think about that quite hard and try to show the kids a modest lifestyle. But um, you know, the kids all knew that if they wanted anything, they had to get it for themselves. And um, so all my three kids are... Hard working and you know get to you know, 
I'm proud of them. They get to work before everybody else and they're there after they leave and they don't believe it's going to be handed to them on a plate. And um, they got that probably more from their mum than me, but that's what they saw. The thing they don't tell you, and I try to say it all the time, kids never do what they, kids never do what you tell them. In fact, they'll do the opposite of what you tell them. The only thing they'll do is what you show them. That's it. Mm. And if they're doing something you don't like, it's probably because it's something you do and they've copied it. <laughs> and that's the wild part about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember a talk at my daughter's, my older daughter, when she went to this particular school, a talk from the headmistress to parents. And um, she was saying, don't come to me talking about your kids' drug use when I know that you're using drugs at home. Sort that out first and then come and talk to me about your child's drug use. We went, we went to one of those talks as well. And, um, yeah, it was, really, it was really tricky to see. Um, but, you know, your heart stops when they get their peas, doesn't it? But you're like, you've got to let them go. And kids aren't using drugs to the same extent as previous generations. This is a pretty healthy generation. I'm so grateful you wrote this book uh, to hopefully reframe a, a lot of things and to, to know that a lot of stuff is in our control, checking what we eat, how much we sleep, the amount of community we're a part of. I love that you use the word taking exercise, not doing exercise, taking it like a like you would take any medicine as a prescription. You know, an exercise doesn't have to be a three-hour CrossFit session walks with your friend is an exercise and <laughs> it's uh it's it's pretty amazing mate you're just the best and thank you so much for for being you buddy i know you work really hard at it so thank you well thanks for having me Ocean. that was dr norman swan his new book is called so you want to live younger longer it's out right now wherever you get your books just type in dr norman swan wherever you buy your books or go to the bookshop and say do you have dr norman swan's latest book they probably will because it's out right now he's norman swan on twitter you can also find him at norman.swan on instagram and uh i thoroughly recommend you check out jonathan swan's interview with president trump that we referred to in that show because holy fucking shit <laughs> that's a proud dad moment right there i tell you it's Amazing. Jonathan Swan's an incredible kid. Well, kid, God, I'm so old. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for being on top of it. Big thanks to everyone who helped me make the show this week. Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider. He makes all the music. His Twitch stream is brilliant. Check out Toe Hider on Twitch. Uh, Bree Steele, who did all the research and uh, helped me prepare for the show. Massive thanks to Andy Marr, who cuts the shows together makes all the audio, makes all the video, and Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of The Lot, the extraordinary human being that I pretty much outsource my executive function to. She's the best. Thanks heaps for listening. I'll see you on Wednesday for a quick version of the show, and I'll be back on Friday. Until we speak then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.